Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacogenomics has been one of the most fascinating aspects of my career in pharmacy. Entering in 2004, didn't hear about this until about 2015. Had an opportunity to work with UPMC Enterprises uh, indirectly through a consultancy out of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, which is near Pittsburgh. And I have met some amazing people who are pushing the usage of pharmacogenomics forward. And I'm so proud that pharmacists are leading the way. And it's been a joy of mine to relaunch the PGX for Pharmacists podcast, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, with leading experts in this like Dr. Becky Winslow. Becky, thanks for letting me be on your show today. Absolutely, Todd. Thanks for for hosting the show. Absolutely. And I also want to talk and I'm excited to welcome for the first time on PGX for Pharmacists, Christine Ashcraft. She's an expert in PGX and pharmacogenomics within healthcare. And I followed her on LinkedIn for quite some time and have read articles and followed her career. So, Christine, this is a this is a welcome pleasure for you to be here. Thank you so much for having me. 
I'm turning this over to Becky. This is your show and you're the expert in this. <laughs> and I can't wait to listen uh, in and then maybe I'll throw a question in or two. But really, this is a treat for me to uh, host this podcast through PGX for Pharmacists. And with that, Becky, I want you to take it away. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Christine. As Todd said, you're listening to the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. And as you guys know, our mission is to discuss all things pharmacogenomics. And we also educate and advocate for pharmacogenomics. For those listeners who do not know my qualifications to speak on PGX, I've been a PharmD for 23 years this May. And I have 22 years of experience in the pharmacy industry, directing pharmacy operations and clinical pharmacy programs whose missions were to improve medication safety and efficacy. For the last 7.5 years, I've worked in the pharmacogenomics industry as a PGX clinical science and clinical implementation liaison, as well as a certified PGX educator. I've provided PGX consulting to PGX laboratories, PGX prescribers, patients, software companies, insurers, and employers. So let's get started. I'm super, super excited today. Democratizing pharmacogenomics has been beset with many barriers over the years. Um, no one knows this any better than Ms. Christine Ashcraft. Christine is a diehard pharmacogenomics advocate who has inspired me over the last seven years to not give up on advocating for pharmacogenomics as a standard of care. So Christine joins me today on the podcast to discuss advocacy groups whose aim is to eliminate the barriers to pharmacogenomics being a standard of care in medication therapy management. Today, Christine and I will focus on two such advocacy groups, one being G2G and the other being the strike group. So, Christine, thank you so much for joining me today to discuss this very important topic in pharmacogenomics. Please tell us about your work in the pharmacogenomics industry over the last 20 years so that our listeners will better appreciate the knowledge and wisdom you bring to this conversation today. So where did your pharmacogenomics story begin? Sure, my, uh, my pharmacogenomics story actually began back in 2000. Uh, I was working at the time at a lab that was originally founded back in 1987 as one of the first crime labs in the country with a National Institute of Justice grant. And they were looking for something that leveraged their core competency in providing high quality genetic testing. And uh, way back in 2000, there was an article in Fortune magazine about a little boy named Michael who had died of an overdose because he had an easily testable pharmacogenetic variation that in concert with his other medications led to deadly levels of a drug in his system. And the article talked about the dawning of the age of precision medicine when we would use genetic information to make sure we were giving patients the safest drugs and doses that the evidence allowed for. Uh, and at the time, like good uh, science geeks, we went to PubMed <laughs> and uh, yep. started uh, looking at just how common these variations were, how many medications they impacted, and naively thought, well, this is a no-brainer. It's going to be standard of care in five, six years' time. Yep. <laughs> 
Um, and here we are over 20 years later, and unfortunately, uh, it's very likely that the same negative outcome would happen if Michael went into uh, his doctor today or um, to, get, to get a medication. And so have been uh, really focusing, and I think the pharmacogenomics community as a whole uh, has been asking, you know, what do we need to do to move this where we all think it should be as standard of care? And uh, there are a number of barriers that come up again and again uh, that really need to be addressed. Uh, and those two organizations that you're, you spoke of, I think, are, are both working on that in different ways. You know, one stripe is the FDA collaborative community uh, that is put together to help, um, I would say, aggregate a lot of different work in different areas so that somebody that is not an expert in pharmacogenomics could come in uh, from the outside and know what quality looks like. Um, and so that we can get some consensus about um, uh, moving forward as an industry. Uh, G2G uh, is working to put forward some legislative pro proposals uh, that will help address some barriers. And I'm, I'm happy to dive into those individual barriers, but um, that's that's kind of the, the, the premise for that. I've uh, been working at it for 20 years since I heard <laughs> the story. Yeah, I mean, stories like that, um, can break your heart, but they're also inspiring as evidenced by your career following uh, hearing that story. And and sometimes I feel like, or, or I've noticed in this um, industry, those stories have propelled many people to advocate for pharmacogenomics as a standard of care. And, you know, we're just, uh, we're not happy the event happened, but change is a change maker. Um, seeing and hearing about those adverse drug events. So let's drill down a little bit into each of the groups that you talked about. Um, so for uh, G2G, for example, mm -hmm. can you talk to us about who are the stakeholders uh, that G2G works with? Um, mm -hmm. who, who do they target for their mm -hmm. um, advocacy? And maybe what are some of their goals right now? Right. So uh, G, G to D, G, G to D, <laughs> sorry, was uh, originally um, when I came aboard uh, at Invite uh, about a year ago, um, uh, we decided to work with G to G to push forward some legislative priorities. Uh, we've since had meetings with um, uh, the PMC, uh, we've talked to a number of uh, pharmacy organizations, other health organizations, trying to get input um, from different stakeholders in terms of, you know, where we can move things forward legislatively that a lot of uh, different people in the pharmacogenomics community can get behind. Um, so I'd say, you know, the barriers that come up again and again, uh, one is lack of awareness and education. Mm -hmm. um, I applaud the AMA and ASHP for their, their recent uh, series of pharmacogenomics, CME and CPE that was Absolutely. free. Absolutely. A huge step in the right direction, but there is just not enough understanding of the importance of pharmacogenomics and the fact that the evidence is already there in so many ways to help us um, optimize medication. Uh, I think that, you know, it's not a silver bullet and we need to be very careful in, in yes. stating that. 
Uh, pharmacogenomics is a tool that should be mm -hmm. used uh, with other tools in optimizing medications, uh, but it's certainly something that we should be using. So just raising the education and awareness um, is uh, one of the key barriers. Uh, I think one of the other ones and one of the ones that Stripe is focused on is that um, you know, the FDA um, came out um, and uh, sent some kind of cease and desist letters to a number yes. of pharmacogenomics laboratories. Um, and I, I think that as an industry, everybody wants um, uh, people to get on the same page in terms of, you know, this is what uh, minimum quality looks like. Mm -hmm. What does the FDA need to see? What do we need to see to uh, update product inserts so that, you know, testing is recommended or required? Uh, when, uh, what is needed if we do align FDA product inserts with CPIC level A or B? Uh, what is needed to, to see that kind of update being made? Uh, and so in chatting with some government officials, um, it, it seemed like one of the biggest barriers is they just lack the funding to put the resources mm -hmm. into it. Um, so legislatively working to make sure they get the funding they need to do the kind of research needed to move those efforts forward on both sides. One of the other things is uh, reimbursement. So historically, you know, we've looked at these drug gene pairs, you know, should we cover testing for Plavix response? Certainly, mm -hmm. we will cover a CYP2C19 test for Plavix response. Should we cover a panel of genes for uh, optimizing uh, behavioral health therapies? Um, sure. Uh, but I think the thing is that those same genes impact medications across multiple diseases. Yes, they do. So how do we move to a, a space where we go, hey, does it make sense to reimburse a panel of genetic tests that will help us optimize medication selection for a lot of different medications mm -hmm. for life? Um, a recent uh, publication came out of the uh, biobank in the uni United Kingdom, and they saw that one in five new prescriptions was impacted by pharmacogenomics that already has high evidence. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, moving beyond this kind of drug gene pair or focus on a single disease state to a, a broader view. Um, and I'd say the other big barrier is the focus on EHR integration. So if you're going to do that test, let's make sure we store it discreetly uh, so that we can continue to use that information to optimize uh, medications the rest of a patient's life once the testing's been done. And Christine, I have to say that that is your forte. <laughs> the clinical decision support and... Um, Having that pharmacogenomics information at the point of care where we can prevent um, adverse drug reactions and non-therapeutic outcomes before the prescription's written. Um, yeah, so I applaud you for your work, especially um, in, in working with uh, making it accessible and right at the point of care for, for prescribers. So... You touched on a, a really important point, and that is the funding um, for more research, uh, also reimbursement. So as you said, payers, what always, um, I guess, <laughs> causes me to stop and wonder is when a payer's policy says that none of these genes are are medically necessary that they're investigational and 
we have the clinical levels of, of um, utility. Mm -hmm. it, it, I just, <laughs> I want to write them all a letter. I want to call them all yeah. on the phone and say, no, listen, <laughs> let me tell you, you know, let me tell you about this and, and let me educate you. And so it's really great to hear that you guys are working on the legislation to get that funding. Um, so that we can provide more education to all of the stakeholders. Um, well, I think one of the, the biggest stakeholders, and I and I didn't touch on this point, and I'm sure uh, as a pharmacist, you'll appreciate it, is the underutilization of pharmacists. Absolutely. Um, you know, when uh, if my mother had a heart attack, I would want no barriers to stand between her seeing a cardiologist. But there, if she was on 12 medications, uh, there are barriers standing uh, in the way of mm -hmm. her being able to have an appointment with a pharmacist to review that, incorporate pharmacogenomics when needed. Yes. Um, you know, 90% of America lives within five miles of a pharmacy. We're facing a physician shortage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, pharmacists have five times the coursework in pharmacology compared to a yes. physician. Uh, and we really, really need to utilize them as healthcare experts in um, optimizing medications and incorporating pharmacogenomics when it's useful. The clinical decision support is helpful, um, but I think when you're like, hey, it's research and investigation <laughs> only by payers, um, mm -hmm. part of it is that you know lack of uh, education and awareness. Yes. Um, but uh, I think if pharmacists were uh, ideally uh, recognized federally as healthcare providers, uh, it would really help um, completely across the continuum as well. I agree. And I can't say enough, and I'm sure my listening audience agrees how much we appreciate um, that part of the legislative efforts are for pharmacists to, to get provider status so they can play a more active role uh, in helping manage patients' medications with using pharmacogenomics, as you mentioned, as a tool in the medication therapy management toolbox. Um, just my experience, I started out working with a pharmacogenomics lab whose sales team could get the doors open to the physicians. They could get the doctor listening, but the doctor just didn't feel confident in executing the pharmacogenomics test what do I do with the results? And so that was one of my first jobs was speaking clinician to clinician to those providers. And either A, they wanted me to teach them how to incorporate the results or B, they said, hey, Becky, can you just do this for me? <laughs> you know, um, can you incorporate these patients' test results into their into their medication therapy for me. And, you know, that was just a great experience because, um, you know, I was able to help push pharmacogenomics forward and that ended up helping patients. So yeah, however many years ago, 30 years ago, when I decided I wanted to be a pharmacist, that was my ultimate goal. So I really felt like I was really making or helping make the changes that I that I had wanted to make long ago when I decided to be a pharmacist. Well, thank you for that. I, I think, you know, pharmacists are really key to moving this forward. Um, and certainly it's it's part of the care team, you know? Yes. Um, 
But back back to your question on the the research and investigational use only, like why have mm-hmm. peers not um, taken this forward? I, I think sometimes um, when we're accustomed to doing things a certain way, um, it's very hard to move past that. This is a paradigm shift, you know, pharmacogenomics mm-hmm. and precision medicine in general is a different way of thinking about things. If you think about historically, uh, we said, hey, if somebody has this disease, your first line drug to give them is A. If that doesn't work, give them drug B, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't work. Keep trying. <laughs> um, and so- yeah. To say, hey, based on all of their genetics and all of these medications and patient preference, mm-hmm. um, here are personalized things you should do for this patient. Um, it is not the way historically that we have been uh, trained um, mm-hmm. to practice medicine. And so it's it's not easy um, to make people come at it from a completely different mm-hmm. angle. Um, so... Uh, I think part of it is also because we're trapped by an old coding and reimbursement system. Oh gosh, you know, if, absolutely. <laughs> if you go to bill oh, for, if you go to bill for pharmacogenomics, they're like, well, what diagnosis yes. code, right? What disease state? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, mm, all of them. No, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> yes. So that, that's, that's a bit counter uh, to the way that we're accustomed to um, mm-hmm. thinking about things. Um mm-hmm. And we're also used to being reactive versus proactive. I mean, ideally, we'd like to get to a place where everybody has this stored in their medical records so it can be utilized before they get a problematic prescription. Um, but, you know, that that's not the way historically that things have been done. Um, but even if we just focused on patients who are actively taking medications or about to be prescribed medications impacted by high evidence um, pharmacogenetics, it's still a huge step in the right direction and we're not even there yet. Yeah. So, you know, kudos to these groups for um, their missions to, to push pharmacogenomics forward and Kudos to you also for being in the trenches and hanging in there for all these years. So let me ask you this. Um, If there was one legislation or one policy that you could change that you think would make the most impact on pharmacogenomics, what, what would your, what would your wish be? I, uh, I think if I could change one thing, um, that would dramatically impact pharmacogenomics, it would be to mandate, uh, detection of pharmacogenetic interactions the same way we do drug drug interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, you know, we are super, super busy in healthcare and a lot of times, uh, things focus on that, which is required. There's must haves and there's nice to haves. And I think that we need to make pharmacogenetic information a must have Mm -hmm. uh, in order to really see the change. And once it's a must have, people will see what a huge impact this has, not just on improving patient outcomes, but also driving down uh, cost of care and uh, improving uh, adherence. I think there will be a lot of positive things, but if we had a... Uh, either a requirement or uh, some kind of measures that are mandated Mm -hmm. that align with pharmacogenomics, I think it would do uh, a lot of good in in moving this forward because it would move it from the nice to have to the must have list. I love that answer because, I mean, people don't even, you wouldn't even 
consider prescribing a statin without a liver function test. It's, it's just part of the standard of care. But why aren't we questioning how the liver enzymes function? <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are the questions we need to be asking. Uh, why is one test, uh, why do we value it more? Or why do we feel like it's necessary when this other test could e be equally as important to this patient's outcomes? So I love that answer. And um, so thanks, Christine. I really appreciate you joining us today. And we hope that you'll come back and talk with us again. Thank you. I, I, I did want to spin that around and ask you the same question. Though, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, oh gosh, I don't want to steal your answer, but just recently I said that I would love to see pharmacogenomics be um, not just reactive. So some type of legislation or policy where screening, it, it, because a lot of payers consider this screening um, unless someone's actually experienced an adverse drug event. So um, my answer was, I want it to be mandated that they they pay for screening so that we're preventing we're preventing all of these adverse drug reactions and, and non-therapeutic outcomes that are costing the healthcare system um, so much money. It's costing patients, it's costing employers. That was my answer. So <laughs> kind of similar to yours. Kind of similar. I'd like to chime in for just a second, and this is coming from Research and Markets, which is a global leader in data analytics from a business perspective. And the outlook on the pharmacogenomics global market, which has been forecasted till the year 2030, has mm -hmm. shown that there it's going to reach a $12.83 billion industry in supporting the usage, the clinical development and research of how pharmacogenomics will impact our healthcare system, and that's going to grow by 8.1% annually between 2020 and 2030, driven by an increase of an adoption of personalized medicine, as well as medications that are on, um, mm -hmm. on the shelf, uh, over-the-counter mm -hmm. medications, being able to take your mobile phone and scan a barcode of a medication on the shelf and understand based on the testing, if that is compatible with you, backed by uh, pharmacist consultations, as well as physician interaction ongoing. So we really build this strong triangle between physician, pharmacist, and patient to ensure that uh, the science is leveraged in and is, is mainstreamed instead mm -hmm. of being held like it's being held today. So I kind of mm -hmm. wanted to just make that point. 12.83 <laughs> billion is a tremendous amount of revenue yes. in this market. And what that shows us is there's going to be a demand for this in, in general healthcare of our consumers. I agree. And I love, I would love to see the day that consumers embrace this and um, they are pushing because they want better. <laughs> so. I think most 
Most consumers will, you know, patients, when they learn about pharmacogenomics, um, the American Society of Pharmacovigilance actually did a a community outreach. So they invite a diverse number of constituents um, from the Mm -hmm. community to learn about pharmacogenomics. And after they've taught them about them, they uh, do a series of open-ended questions to see uh, what people think. And Mm -hmm. all of the patients thought that their providers had uh, should be telling them about yes. genomics and giving them the option, even if insurance didn't cover it, to get that testing to optimize mm-hmm. their care. They also felt that payers should know about the benefits of the testing mm-hmm. and should have to learn about it. Um, so I think when when people are actually um, provided uh, education, virtually all consumers are very positive about pharmacogenomics. Mm-hmm. And when they're not, um, it's usually uh, things that can be addressed, concerns that can be addressed um, that, you know, they're just misunderstanding. Uh, sure. So. Sure. Doctor, and, Dr. Eric Geyer and, and Becky had an amazing conversation that we released on PGX for Pharmacists, which really dug into um, different elements of the politics of this uh, Dr. Geyer is the host of the Political Pharmacist podcast. He does an absolute amazing job in covering the politics of pharmacy. And Becky went into detail as to the impact that the state of Hawaii had uh, mm-hmm. for a, an $800 million suit. So when yep. you start poking the bears, the bears yes. as a plural of, <laughs> of pharmaceutical manufacturers with the science of PGX. If you don't think that they're not paying attention to this, you know, you're blind to what's mm-hmm. actually happening. So in moving ahead and what's it forward of this, and I'm sure Christine, you agree with this as well. It's about the patient's health. It's not mm-hmm. about the success of pharmacists as much as I love pharmacists and I want to see pharmacists <laughs> succeed. It's really about the longevity and the meaningful life that you can live knowing that the medications that have been have been prescribed to you work as intended and mm-hmm. we can stay ahead of this. And if you think the that that Plavix is Plavix is the only NDC no. number that's going to be impacted by a suit Wait Mm -mm. and see how fast pharmacogenomics evolves. I believe we're going to hit that $12 billion mark before 2030, just based on that. Well, I mean, and you look at it, we, uh, according to a publication that came out a few years ago in 2016, we spent $528 billion in the U.S. on non-optimized medications. Mm -hmm. That's more than we spent on the drugs themselves or on any major chronic disease. There is clearly a lot of room to do a much better job with optimizing medications. Um, and so uh, I 100% agree. You know, I, I compare this to a seatbelt. You know, right now we're investing in a seatbelt if we do a pharmacogenetic panel and we're okay. essentially telling people to put it on at a certain time of day or yes. only on a certain highway. Like if you're going to invest in the seatbelt, wear it every time you get in the car. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just, it, it's logical. And this, this is what we really need to start doing um, for optimizing medications with pharmacogenomics and um, utilizing our, our pharmacists uh, more in the process. Thanks, Todd, for sharing that information. And um, this, is, this is no longer hopes and wishes. We've got data. <laughs> so looking forward to the future with pharmacogenomics. 
And, and to that point, I, I will say one other thing, the American Society of Pharmacovigilance that has Stripe under it did uh, recently have the 23rd of March ordained as Adverse uh, Drug Event Awareness Day. Oh, okay. Great. And so to, to the point of these patient stories that you talked about, you know, mm -hmm. the statistics are one thing, they're amazing uh, statistics, but at the end of the day, it, it comes down to those patients, you yes. know? I have mm -hmm. spoken personally with people that have drug-induced Parkinson's for life. Mm. That could have been yeah. avoided. Prevented. Right? Prevented. Yep. It could have been Absolutely. prevented. There are people that have lost their life because they had a, a DPD variation, right? Mm -hmm. um, exactly. So there's just, the, that's what gets people's attention, not the big statistics, those stories of real people that mm -hmm. are, you know, people's children or grandparents or parents. Pharmacogenomics is most definitely going to impact not only patient health, but the ability for pharmacists to come outside of the roles that were considered traditional 20 and 30 years ago as to the apothecary style pharmacy and pharmacists in filling prescriptions and doing uh, what you do as a traditional pharmacist. But today it's much more clinical and PGX in the hands of the pharmacist as the medication expert is so powerful just in theory, let alone what you can do in digging down into specific disease states. I want to invite every single one of our listeners to go to PGX, the number four, rx.com. Once again, that's PGX, number four, rx.com and share many of the episodes that we've put together. Dr. Becky, uh, Winslow, you are a champion. We're excited to have you leading this uh, charge. Christine, you are more than welcome to come back to PGX for Pharmacists at any time and give us your insights. This is important. Let's get health systems involved. Let's get insurers involved. And let's invite politicians who don't understand the science, but want to understand the science of how pharmacogenomics will impact the longevity and living better of our communities throughout the country. And I thank you so much for listening to the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. And as always, I thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit pgx4rx.com. That's pgx4rx.com.